This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, we've been talking a lot of NFL, Dave. Obviously, we got huge games coming up this weekend. We got coaching searches going on. We got all kinds of things happening. So we bring in the best. We bring in the man with all the knowledge to explain why everything is the way that it is. He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is NFL insider and host of ESPN's Fantasy Focus Live. Field Yates is with us. How are you, man? Gentlemen, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on today. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. You know, there's, uh, you know, the NFL is huge everywhere, but it's it's even bigger out here yeah. because the Seahawks are looking for a head coach, and there are a lot of. I know. Like, where were you guys the last time the Seahawks were looking for a head coach? That's one of those games where it's like, did we even have iPods? What were we operating <laughs> on at that point when they last were on the hunt for a coach? It's been obviously was it 14 years with Pete Carroll, so yeah. uh, quite a run for Pete. A lot of respect for the job that he did, but uh, the new era is probably starting soon. We just don't know exactly how soon. Yeah, 14 years. What did the cell phones look well, like? Well, we didn't have the show. Yeah, we didn't sure. have that. I don't think the <laughs> wow. station existed 14 years ago. So, yeah, there was. it's a different time. But hey, are you surprised that, uh, you know, we, we something we've touched on here is that you've got Bill Belichick out there who's widely considered the greatest to ever do it. You've got Pete Carroll who's won a Super Bowl, who's been back to another one, who's been in the playoffs 10 of 14 years. I mean, proven commodities as coaches, yet nobody's talking to Pete, and only one team, to my knowledge, has spoken with Bill Belichick. It's kind of kind of a – is it a changing of the guard? Is it a different philosophy on how teams should be coached these days? What do you, what do you chalk that up to? I am stunned. Stunned. Uh, here's the reason why, and I'll make it as simple as I possibly can. If there's one thing that I know we, and I say we as in the collective football following – is pretty bad at assessing its NFL head coaching candidates amongst those that have not previously been a head coach. I was going back and looking through some old tweets uh, from reporters, colleagues, myself, you name it. I mean, I'm not trying to lump myself uh, out of this category. From hirings like Arthur Smith three years ago and Nathaniel Hackett two years ago and Urban Meyer several years ago and Frank Reich a year ago, and people talking about how this is, you know, brilliant move and you're up and comer and the energy is correct, you name it. And it's like every year, two, three, four, five head coaches are fired, and many of them have only been on the job for one, two, or three years. It's really hard to find great head coaches, and yet there are three, including, you know, I would argue two of the best ever at the pro and college level. Bill Belichick, the greatest pro coach ever. Pete Carroll, maybe the greatest pro college hybrid coach ever. And Mike Vrabel, who is a winner. I mean, I know this past season was disappointing for Tennessee, but I think the guy's a heck of a football coach. And it seems plausible. I don't know about likely, but it seems plausible that all three could be shut out of a cycle in which a quarter of the league turned over at the head coaching spot. I am shocked that there has not been more interest in all three of them around these various eight openings. Well, Field, here in Seattle, the one thing that we've thought about, maybe this is wrong, but you know, for Harbaugh, maybe Vrabel, and maybe Belichick, is that John Schneider has been in a secondary position here. Now he's ahead of everything, the GM, and he's going to – and there was kind of this perception that Belichick, Harbaugh, Vrabel were going to want more control. 
Do you think that's warranted? Do you think that might be what's going on as far as Seattle's job search? I think that's possible. I, I think the other reality in play here, and, you know, until a, a head coach is hired, I'll, uh, you know, refrain from saying anything is a done deal. But, of course, you know, hours, and it might not, maybe it was more like a day or two, but it feels like it was right after Pete, uh, the, the announcement of Pete being, what are we calling it? Reassigned? Moved to a different role? Um, uh, whatever you want to mutually what departed ways, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Sure. Although yeah. he made it clear yeah, exactly. he didn't want to leave the coaching position. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, press release versus the press conference sounded just a little bit different there, right? Right. Um, but yes, uh, whatever you want to call what happened with Pete, it felt like just within hours of that announcement dropping, uh, it was already Dan Quinn to Seattle had generated a lot of steam, and it's logical in the sense that, of course, Dan knows pretty much everybody that's been in the building for quite some time. He's you know, been a head coach himself, so you kind of have an idea of what he can bring to the table. He's a defensive-minded man, which, of course, is important for a team that you know, I think right now is in really good shape offensively and just needs to really, really figure it out on defense. So um, my, my general sense is that you know, we're still heading towards the Dan Quinn conclusion. Uh, that, but, but, you know, this, uh, one of the great coaches uh, who's been around for a long time, Mike Tomlin, you know, this is how he got the job in Pittsburgh was that it was kind of like a, a sort of like an exploratory interview when it felt like the team had already made up its mind and he won over the Steelers brass and was it 18 years later or 17 seasons later with 17 seasons of 500 or better, Mike Tomlin remains in control in Pittsburgh. You know, Dave and I have, have talked to a lot of people uh, just sort of scouting these different coordinators. You're not familiar with these guys until they become uh, head coaching candidates a lot of times. And, you know, names we've never even heard are candidates now. But two of the bigger names, I guess, that haven't been coaches are Ben Johnson, Mike McDonald. Uh, and obviously what they're doing with their respective teams and their positions is, is pretty impressive. They also have the talent to make sure. it work as well. So I'm wondering you know, they, they feel like the shiny new toy. Like, man, I want that one. It's new, it's fresh, it's exciting. doesn't guarantee anything. Do you have a favorite amongst these these candidates that have not coached? The, you know, remove Dan Quinn, remove Rabel, Pete, Belichick, anybody that's been a head coach. Of the coaches that have not had that opportunity, is there one that stands or two that stand out to you? All right, so I'm going to take the, uh, the easy way out here. I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to say the one that goes to the situation with the best quarterback because <laughs> usually the way in which a head coach becomes successful is he's got a good quarterback with him. Uh, and, you know, I think Ben Johnson's headed for Washington to coach the commanders, and they'll have the number two pick, and they'll probably get, uh, you know, whoever their favorite quarterback is, uh, not named Caleb Williams in the draft. Um, but, you know, I, I, I will say this is that uh, I, I have been impressed with the play-calling ingenuity of Ben Johnson. And because I remain of the fundamental belief that whatever you can do to surround your quarterback with the right pieces, uh, and I talk about not just wide receivers and offensive linemen, but also coaches, I think that's usually the most you know tried-and-true successful plan uh, in the NFL. So I would say that Ben Johnson, because – he is on that offensive side of the ball and has a lot of work with quarterbacks. Probably gives me the most confidence, but you know, certainly there's still a lot that he has to prove, even with what looks like a pretty darn good resume right now. Do you get a sense for some of these guys as to, and I don't know how well you know them, Field, but you know, some of these guys that it's it's like the Peter Principle that you you know you you find your your ceiling at, at some point, and you know, some of these guys like Josh McDaniels, for example. I mean, he's probably going to go back to being an offensive coordinator because that's what he does best. He's just not 
he doesn't have that it factor. Um, when you when you look at some of these guys around the league that we don't really even know that much about, like Sloak, have, have you found anything or any characteristics of some of these coordinators that you think, hey, this guy really has head head coaching qualities? You know, when I think about what would make a successful coach in a vacuum, and very rarely is it in a vacuum, so much of it is tied to the personnel and, you know, the GM they're working with, the organizational infrastructure that goes beyond the head coach. But I'll just say, like, I, I do think there is something to be said for somebody who's able to be, uh, who, who is a great communicator. Um, and I think there's somebody who is able to kind of thread the needle between being honest but also saying things honestly in a way that players can be receptive to, because you know the truth about the NFL is that well you've got you know a handful of pillars uh, on your roster that are going to be there for a long time. I mean half the roster or more is probably subject at every moment to being replaced, right? I mean that's what the job of the scouting department is. Let's find somebody who's as good or better than you, probably for cheaper than you, and. The reason I point that out is like there's going to be difficult conversations. Only five guys start along the offensive line. Only one player starts at quarterback. Like you're going to have to be the bearer of bad news, but you also have to find a way to keep players motivated and keep players, you know, sort of on that track of improvement. So I think communication is you know paramount in a lot of in a lot of fields. Um, Coaching, no exception there. And then also the the, the people that are able to uh, communicate the difficult message in a way that's respectful and that players don't hold against them, but instead, you know, sort of understand where the coach is coming from. Hey, Field, uh, of the remaining openings, we, you know, obviously we're in the thick of it here in Seattle. So we look at this and go, well, how how is this not the most attractive opportunity that's remaining on the board? But it's hard. We're we're in the middle of it. Yeah. So you you agree that this is the, the... is this the closest team in terms of being a, a playoff team? Is this the best situation? How do you how do you size up the remaining openings? Yeah, so I guess I'm, maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm looking at it through a, a specific prism, but I look at it through the prism of which team gives it a chance to win the soonest. Uh, obviously, the division is good. I mean, you've got two teams that made the playoffs this year, one that's still playing in the 49ers, and a fourth team in the uh, you know the Cardinals that I think is you know if something else is on the rise, right? They 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 have hit the rock bottom. They're on the way back up. Um, they have the fourth pick in the draft, which is going to be very valuable. Um, but, you know, Seattle back-to-back seasons with nine wins, like quarterback that's good. You've got, you know, multiple receivers in place. You've got two bookend offensive tackles that can be good players. You know, I mean, Boye Mafe, one of the breakout pass rushers in the NFL, Devin Witherspoon, you know, potential defensive rookie of the year. Like I just hit five of the key premium positions in the NFL and Seattle might have them all. I mean, if you can protect, if you can cover, if you can rush, and you got quarterbacks and pass catchers, you're in pretty good shape. And Seattle has pretty much all those boxes checked. You know, I'm a huge fan of John Schneider. I love the way that he goes about his business. I think he's one of the best and most resourceful evaluators in the entire NFL. So all of those things, I think, make Seattle really attractive. I think the only other prism that I think is a pretty reasonable answer here is if you're looking for the place in which you can put your imprint on things the most, meaning the new head coach slash GM, it's probably Washington, only because that's a team that has a second pick in the draft. So you're probably taking a quarterback that you want. You've got all this cap space. And defensively, they traded away their, you know, two of their best players during the season. So 
if you want to, whatever you want to invest defensively, you probably have the right to do in D.C., but I think Seattle right now of the remaining openings, and we're down to the nitty-gritty here, uh, is the best one. So you mentioned the quarterback, and, you know, we had, uh, it seems like every day we get our texters telling us, Geno's terrible, what are you doing with him? And, you know, it's got to be Drew Locke, or they got to go to the draft. So you, you're you yeah. thinking, you know, you mentioned a quarterback being desirable for a new head coach. You like Geno? I mean, you think that that's, uh, that's the way to go? I am, like, I... You know, my problem is, and this is, uh, you know, there, there are elements of, of sort of covering the league at large that uh, get lost on you. Like there are times in which you're not as in the weeds on some of the stuff that a team uh, is dealing with. And then there are times in which I feel like it helps you out a lot because uh, I also watch quarterbacks around the NFL that aren't good all yeah. the time. Right. <laughs> and I know what a good quarterback looks like now, right? And I know Geno Smith's a hell of a football player. His accuracy is ball placement is terrific. His deep ball accuracy is great. That helps when you have a player like DK Metcalf. Uh, he's tough. He's clearly, at least maybe you guys could, could, could counter this, but certainly looks like he is the leader of that team on offense. You know, Bobby, obviously a big time leader on defense too, but uh, it feels like kind of a Gino is kind of the guy that sets the tone uh, for that offense and really maybe that team at large as well. So I think Gino is is terrific. I think he's 33 years old too. Like in, in, in quarterback parlance, that's that's like kind of like middle, maybe like maybe like the fifth inning out of a nine inning <laughs> career. And Gino might be the exception because of the fact that, of course, you know, he had basically a decade off. So yeah. um, I would be building around Gino going forward, especially on a very reasonable contract that has two more years left on it. So when we get to the draft and pick 16s and play for Seattle, I get it. There's a long ways. We're exactly three months from the draft right now. But my mindset is, let's 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 get the best defensive player on the board. You know, maybe, maybe it's you know, I, I I think they somebody that can help defend the run would go a long way in my opinion right now in Seattle. Yes. But if you play defense, you got a chance to be on the uh, you know the short list of prospects to be taken at pick number 16. Well, and you just before we ask you about a couple other things going on in the league is that you mentioned a guy that's an interesting story here because, you know, Dave and I sort of identified three big roster decisions the new coach is going to have to make along with John Schneider, Gino being one of them. Uh, and then the other two are interesting because Jamal Adams came over with a lot of fanfare, had a tremendous first year here. They signed him to a big deal and he has just not been able to stay healthy. But releasing him is like a $21 million cap hit. And then Bobby Wagner is the other guy. You look at his numbers, he's piling up tackles, and the numbers are there. You know, where those tackles are taking place on the field is a different story, and and, and his game is, is certainly not what it was, but he's a legend here. So what do you do if you're the new head coach? you got a legend that is beloved by the fan base who may not be what he used to be, yet he's playing 100% of the time. And then you got another guy who, when he's healthy, is great, but if you release him, it's costing you a whole bunch of dead cap money. Yeah, it's a tricky one there. Uh, I, I think with Jamal Adams, obviously, you know, things have not gone as planned, right? In uh, pretty much every way between the health, the performance, you know, some of the attitude stuff, some of the things that Pete had to, or Pete had to, I should say, address with social media content, things of that nature. So um, I, I would think that uh, there's, you know, Jamal is one that uh, basically this comes down to, is it palatable to uh, release him? I mean, all things, you know, in, in normal circumstances, no, but there are certain times where you just kind of bite the bullet. But um, we'll see there. And Bobby, you know, it's a tricky one for me because, um, you know, there are probably different metrics that you can size up and you can say, hey, you know, he's not this or not that compared to where he was in the past. 
And yet I just have a hard time ever thinking that the leadership, the intensity, the consistency, the model that he is for the younger players, to me, that is almost always worth having around. And he's a franchise legend. He is kind of the last, I would say, link to what was, you know, a decade ago, uh, you know, this, this defense that was the talk of the NFL for multiple seasons. So um, I'm a Bobby Wagner guy. I, I am a, uh, you know, a thorough advocate for finding a way to keep him around for as long as possible. But I understand they've got some difficult decisions to make this upcoming offseason, and that's because, you know, they've had some really, really good draft picks that have turned into some really good contracts uh, on second deals around that roster. Yeah, around here you almost feel like a traitor if you say anything that's even remotely negative about Bobby. <laughs> I mean, it just, yeah, it just, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, hey, let me ask you this: uh, you, you mentioned Schneider and how you're a big fan of his, and you know, and I. I First of all, when you look at this roster, do you think, you know, this is a team, you mentioned Boye Mafe that they got in the second round, that it's they've kind of uh, underperformed based on the talent that, that John has gotten in the draft the last couple of years. And then do you think that he had that same quality that he has to, to pick players? I'm, I still think Devin Witherspoon was a crazy pick at number five because we had corners, yet he ends up being the yeah. best player on the team. And um, yeah. yeah, so, but do you think he has that same quality in selecting head coaches? Ooh, um, that I don't know, right? I guess, I guess no one knows because I don't, yeah. maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but he wasn't the one responsible for picking Pete, right? No, I think he John wasn't. was at a much lower tier at the time. Uh, or was he still in Green Bay when, uh, when Pete yeah. was hired? I, no, I need they, to brush Pete, up on my. Pete picked him, right? Yeah, Pete and. Um... Oh, there you go. Our guy that, uh, you know, yeah, I think Fitter and they uh, they selected him and yeah. So uh, anyway, okay, um, so yeah, I, yeah. He hasn't That's done a it good before. Question. He hasn't done it before. So I'm going to refrain from saying something definitively, only because if I do, uh, I am basing it off of purely sort of like conjecture. Um, I, I just, I th- you know, I think what I do think about John though is that uh, I do think he has like very good people instincts uh, and player instincts as well. So I think they'll end up getting this right. Uh, again, I still think this is a Dan Quinn conclusion uh, sooner than later. But until Penn is on paper, um, the Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks job remains open for uh, the variety of candidates that uh, have made it through their first or second interview. Hey, Field, one, one of the conversations we've been having a lot of uh, uh, spending a lot of time on, you know, obviously the 49ers are a tremendous team. They're one of the final four and we'll see what happens with them. But Brock Purdy's such a, a, a unique story because of where he was picked. He's Mr. Irrelevant, last pick in the draft, and then here he is leading this team and putting up ridiculous numbers. And it feels like there's no middle ground with him. People either think he's great or they think, ah, eh, he's he's remarkably average and he's just got great pieces around him and a great system. And I, you know, I hear Richard Sherman out there debating people on it and, you know, Colin Cowherd's on the other side. It's just amazing to hear yeah. the debate going on about is he good or not? Where what What's yeah. your opinion? Now? What's your read on him? Is it, is it just because of where he's picked that people have such a hard time just going, hey, this is a good quarterback. I don't care what round he was picked in. Yeah, I think probably because, like, the world we live in now sees things like everything has to be one or the other. I think multiple things can be true at one time. Uh, I think that Brock Purdy is a good, a very good quarterback. Um, I also think that uh, he can be a very good quarterback playing in a very good system as well. And I, I'm not saying that stats are the only thing that matters, but I remind people often that Nick Mullins had the second most passing yards 
in his first 16 career starts in NFL history, trailing only Patrick Mahomes. That was Nick Mullins playing for the 49ers. I mean, think about quarterbacks that have been in San Francisco and how they have looked there relative to how they have looked elsewhere. So I think that um, you can credit the 49ers system while simultaneously credit Brock, crediting Brock Purdy. Uh, I, I know, listen, I, I don't have, I think my brain is about as average as the day is long. And my brain <laughs> is able to wrap itself around the idea that both of those things can be true. So I know that all these people that are agonizing over whether Brock Purdy is trash or better than Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, uh, and other top flight quarterbacks around the NFL also have it within their brain to dig deep and realize that Brock Purdy can be good and the 49ers offense can be really good as well. Hey, Field, real quick, um, I, I was looking at your history, and it was kind of in a center, similar situation where I was going to maybe go into scouting, and then I went into media, and I know that you were you know, up in the booth in Kansas City, and you know, you worked pretty closely with the team and probably thought about going either into scouting or, or coaching. You ever think back and go, man, I could be making a lot of money now if I would have stuck okay, with that. I, when, the, when Jed Fish's contract got, got you know, the ink went dry, I thought to myself, maybe I did screw up, right? <laughs> um, and by the way, I'm, I'm so excited for the program. I mean, obviously, Coach, you know, Kalen DeBoer is terrific, uh, but Jed Fish is awesome. I mean, he is totally magnetic. He is just a blast to be around. Him and I have spent some time. Uh, in the past together. And I think the world of him, not just as a coach, but as a leader, like you got to have a certain energy uh, as a college coach, especially in the world of college football that we live in now, him and I spent a day together a couple summers ago. And uh, he is totally, I mean, he made, he had me ready to run through a brick wall. Uh, so I'm fired up for the Huskies to land uh, coach fish. And uh, he is worth every penny uh, in that college football landscape, because he's going to instantly uh, you know, I would say change the program. They just played in the national championship, but keep the program uh, where it deserves to be. I mean, it's still one of the great college football programs in the entire country. It's good to hear. He is uh, NFL insider and host of ESPN's Fantasy Focus Live. Field Yates has been our guest here with Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports on 710. Field, absolute pleasure to speak with you. Really appreciate you taking the time and, and some great stuff. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you guys very much, and uh, we'll talk again sometime soon, perhaps when the Seahawks officially have a new head coach. Great stuff from Field Yates. Really good conversation. In case you guys missed any of it, it'll be on the podcast page at seattlesports.com after the show. Coming up, there are only two head coaching jobs left, but the Seahawks might be at a disadvantage in one aspect compared to the Commanders. We'll get into what that is next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports. Well, Morrow's got some pipes, huh? <laughs> I thought I thought it was decent, but I can't sing my way out of a wet paper bag. So <laughs> we sang the uh, Michigan fight song with gusto. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Nailed it, nailed it on the fly. I mean, listen, no prep, no practice, no rehearsal, solid work. <laughs> what, what song was that? Do you know? The that Michigan was a fight that, song. No, no, that the one that Mora was singing. It yeah. was a song by a band called System of a Down. Okay. Yeah. I just thought David already forgotten the song you guys sang. Oh, you thought he was asking about that? I think he's. I think he's aware of the Michigan fight I was, song. I was talking about Mara and what she was singing. <laughs> 
Uh, all righty then. Moving on. Uh, text is there for you guys. 866-979-3776. Powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Uh, so there are only two coaching vacancies left, Dave. All of a sudden, it seemed like yesterday there were eight, and now there's two. One of them being the Seahawks. I, you know, we were going to rank the the remaining four, and now it's been cut to two within the time time of our show here. So, I'm going to rank them: Seahawks one, Commanders two. That's how I see it. How do you see it? <laughs> I'm going to mix it up, Bob. I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Go Commanders. Uh, well, we we heard from Field Yates that you know it's favorable. Were they have the number two pick? Did he say? Yeah. 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 So they can get the pretty much the quarterback they want, probably. Uh so in that's attractive. Um, but if they if they pick Dan Quinn at the end, are you gonna go, Well, what what were we doing? Should we have done that sooner? Or are you thinking because of this, it's gonna be somebody that we haven't heard of? That's a good question. I, I it's a great I, question. I feel, good. Good. I'll stick with good. Um I think it's it feels like if they're going to wait now, they, it, they do want to talk to maybe it's McDonald or they want another conversation with Ben Johnson. Right. You know, guys that are still involved in the playoffs, so their their access is limited, as we've talked about many times. Otherwise, you're right. There's no re- – if they walked out of the meeting going, Dan's our guy. Well, then why why mess around? Why why not just make that choice now? So, you know, you, they, they do have – what I do like is that one of those two or three, you know, are, are available. Commanders are going to take one of the names we've heard a million times out there, whether it's Ben Johnson, whether it's whether it's uh, McDonald, whether it's Dan. I don't know if they interviewed Dan Quinn, but I mean, Vrabel, all these people are still out there. They're only going to get one of them, which leads the rest of the field for the Seahawks. So feels like they could get either McDonald or Ben Johnson. If, if, if the commanders take one, they could take the other if that's the route they want to go. But if they don't go that way and they do go with with Dan Quinn, it does feel odd that they would wait. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then also just, you know, guys filling in, you know, uh, coaching jobs around the NFL and you, you're kind of late to the party. I, I, I'm i not sure, man, that, that will, well, do be... you feel like they've missed on anybody? Like any of these coaches that are off the board, Raheem Morris, uh, Canales, they didn't talk to, I don't think. Um, but just any of these coaches that have been hired to this point, do you feel like, oh, man, yeah, kind of, you kind of missed it. Good question. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, it, it doesn't doesn't feel like that to me anyway. But our two favorites are still out there. Yeah, right. They're they're playing this weekend. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of curious, and especially coming from where I originally thought. Okay, I have this totally figured out. The reason why they didn't move on, they moved on from Pete a year early, is because there was somebody they had to have, and the window right. was closing. And then find out that no, it's going to be this exhaustive search. But it would it wouldn't it. It, it probably wouldn't surprise you too much because we, we asked Field Yates this question. Does he – do you think Schneider has the same ability to pick uh, coaches like he picks players that and that it might be somebody that you never thought of? I, I feel like that would be almost more appealing than – than because I want to hear the reasons. You know, uh, if they pick Dan Quinn, you're going to be like, eh, okay, well, we kind of knew that, and they maybe it indicates that – no matter what they say, that they kind of went back to what was comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they come up with somebody that is not, you know, we've heard their names probably, but it's not on the top of the list or nobody is really talking about that much, I'm going to be very curious to know, okay, what are what, what was it? What was it about him? And it sold you on, yeah. Yeah. 
And, you know, that maybe it's, you know, again, I, I, I said this to Field Yates as well, that like, I don't know if he thought <laughs> I wasn't much of an evaluator, but I said Devin Witherspoon was a crazy pick, not because he wasn't a good player, but just because it's such a John Schneider move. I mean, we don't we didn't need corners, and yet you get this guy that has like a special ability. To I mean, he really is just different. You know, you watch the Ravens' defense fly around the field. I keep talking about that. Same thing a little bit with San Francisco. That's kind of what you see from Witherspoon. He was playing at a different speed and level than everybody else, and he was able to identify that. So I'm I'm banking that if you're a football guy, you can pick football coaches and players, and, you know, maybe John comes up with some somebody that is sort of offbeat and – We'll hear the reasons why, and it'll be uh, very exciting to hear. You know what are what are, what's in store for us for the next whatever they sign him for. Yeah, I don't, three to five years. It is exciting. We haven't been in the fourteen years with Pete. Fourteen. It just you just woke up. Uh, you know, one day it's it's Pete. Here's the new season. What are we going to do? Okay, there might be a new coordinator here or there. Certainly, we we've seen that, but just the 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 consistency of having Pete there. It's so weird to have that that routine disrupted. And to wonder what it's going to be like. And and it feels like, you know, we talked about this as well, that, you know, John's in a new position sort of in the way in, in terms of what he's got at his disposal and the authority he has. But he's been with this organization for 14 years as well. So he's not the new guy trying to prove himself. He's been there. It feels like maybe that removes a little bit of the slack. Like, you got to get this one right. Mm-hmm. You can't afford to go out there. This is your first time having this kind of authority. You're hiring the head coach as opposed to how it went when you you got here. You, you don't have the luxury of, well, ah, that didn't work. He's gone after two seasons, and let's try again. It doesn't feel that way. Maybe it would work that way, but it doesn't feel – it feels like there's a little bit more – you better get it right. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I think, like, again, t- lots of pressure on him. Have you thought about um, what if it's Bill Belichick? No, <laughs> I haven't because I don't think they've talked to him as far as we know. That would be that would be the most stunning hire of that'd be more stunning than Frank Smith. Well, but I know, but we've also like kind of clowned the NFL because he's only the greatest coach of all time. And you said earlier, like he's had two meetings in Atlanta and both of those he probably just gave him his resume. Yeah, this and then they, and they went with Raheem Morris. <laughs> yeah. said, that's that's a nice resume. Let's go with this guy. Yeah. I, I think it's age. I really do. I think it's just teams are looking for somebody that they feel like can, if they're the right guy, they want to have that Pete Carroll run. They want to have a guy who's here for a decade plus, if it's possible. And that's certainly not a reality when you're talking about a guy who's 72 years old. I'll, I'll just say this. For talk radio, it would be fantastic. To have Bill here? Bill Belichick. <laughs> I would look forward to the Bill Belichick show every week on the station. I was going to say, can you imagine how short that would be? (laughs) A a 25-minute window would be like an eight-minute I might actually get up early to hear the first couple. (laughs) Just let me see how this goes. (laughs) The Pete Carroll show was always a a big get, you know, for for the morning show. And now, uh, you know, everybody would be like, no, no, I I don't want him. You you have run it. No, run it it midday. Run it in the morning. (laughs) You don't need it. No, no, no. Yeah, that would be the biggest shock if if, – Bill Belichick got hired. All right, coming up, Jared Goff is enjoying life right now, as is all of Detroit. We're going to hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. 
scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. It really is starting to seem obvious that there might not be a spot for Bill Belichick and Adam Schefter on Get Up This Morning uh, mentioned that, you know, outside of the Falcons, Belichick has not interviewed with any other team and then kind of went on to say here that he thinks uh, all these teams are making a mistake, not at least talking to Belichick. What I would say to you is this, when Tom Brady left New England in free agency, there were all of two teams that were serious about signing him, the Chargers and the Buccaneers, two out of 32. And last year, when Lamar Jackson was a free agent, nobody was interested in signing him to an offer sheet. So sometimes teams get in the way of themselves and don't make rational decisions. And so here we have the greatest coach of all time who's sitting there with a lack of interest, which again, boggles my mind, but we've seen it before with Lamar, we've seen it before with Brady, and we see it unfolding now with Bill Belichick. I think teams are worried about maybe his age, about his lack of success in New England recently, about what he would want to do to that organization, but he's still Bill Belichick. I think clearly Adam was listening to us asking those questions a while ago. You know, we've been asking that for a while now, Dave. Why Why is there not more interest in Belichick? I think we, we got that conversation off the ground. Well, it's <laughs> it's interesting, though, the, the conversation when you compare it to Tom Brady. Yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm looking at, like, his stats in Tampa. His second year there, he had more completions, more attempts, more yards, and more touchdowns than he ever had in his career. So... Or maybe that's with the NFC. No, it was second as far as touchdowns. He threw yeah, because he had that Randy Moss year where yeah, 50. he went nuts. And, you know, and he threw uh, in Tampa, he, he threw like 43 or something. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's weird that everybody would miss it, though. I mean, it's one thing if there's a couple of teams. I mean, it's because everybody I thought he was too old. He's too old. He's going to, it's, yeah. I mean, we used to hear it all the time. He's going to be too old at some point. Yeah, that's true. At some point, that will become true. So, it wasn't for Tampa, though. What was the original list? Was it eight? The eight? Eight teams that needed a head coach. Yeah, and then Gerard Mayo got that job, like Lefko was saying, with the Patriots pretty quickly. Seven. It was always thought that Antonio Pierce was pretty much going to be the guy, even though that was technically a vacancy. Because he was the interim. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, so it's not the entire league, but still, it's a fair number of teams that passed on Bill Belichick. Well, to not even speak, that's that's it. not hiring him is one thing. I get it if you sit him down and have a conversation and he's got a completely different vision for your team than you do, where you're like, whoa, whoa, no, that's not how we see it at all. Okay. But the fact that nobody even kicked the tires on him outside of the Atlanta Falcons, I, I think is really odd. Sweeping the dial. Probably feels good to uh, to be Jared Goff right now or anyone associated with the Lions. So we're about to hear two very different press conference dynamics. Nick Sirianni in a second. But uh, Jared Goff here on the cusp of the NFC title game. Just kind of having a lot of fun uh, with reporters. Jared, you guys had a lot of, got a lot of really good players, obviously. But maybe oh, thank you. Okay. I said thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> maybe that viewed, though, as the superstars, like the 49ers. Yeah, All right, never mind. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh man, he gets better and better. He's really he's grown up right in before our eyes. Do you, he? do you think there's less pressure on them? Like there's kind of hot they're playing with house money, so to speak, because this, the Niners are supposed to win. They're everybody's pick to represent the NFC. And now the but the Lions are also in this uncharted territory for them, at least for the last 30 plus years. They're in this spot. 
do you, th- do you think they're playing loose or do you think there's pressure like, okay, we got, we, we got to win this? No, I think they're playing loose. I, I think nobody expected them to be there. And the other thing is there's not much pressure from the fans, if that makes any difference, because I feel like they're going to have a parade for the team, even if they lose to the 49ers. I feel like they should. <laughs> Based yeah. on Reese, on what this team has been over the decades, they were a winless team at one point, and our, our buddy Cliff Averill was part of that team. I'm rooting so hard for that. It would be so fun for them to to see, you know, for them to get an opportunity to uh, to play for a Super Bowl uh, championship. I, I've and also we'd be going back, going, yeah, we took care of them the last three years. They're no problem for us. But yeah, they're I, one of the four that have never been to the Super Bowl, right? It's them, the Jaguars, uh, Texans, Jack- Texans, Texans, and who's the other one? That hasn't been. I know Carolina's been. Uh, is it, is it the Browns. Chargers? Browns. The Browns. Browns. Yeah. How about that? Is it the Browns, the fourth one? Mm-hmm. Never been, huh? huh. Sweeping the dial. See, because I know how to look things up. No, actually, I did. That came to me. <laughs> the Browns have uh, See, I tried a lot to, of futility. I tried to give you credit for your recall, and yeah. you're just throwing it in our face. No, no, no. I didn't look that one up. Uh, it came to me there. Uh, okay, so here we had Jared Goff having a lot of fun. This was a decidedly more tense press conference yesterday. Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman met with the Philly reporters. You can imagine that wasn't as fun. And in this kind of back and forth basically has an office space kind of a what would you say you do here vibe that a reporter asked Nick Sirianni. Nick, if the, if the offensive coordinator is going to be in charge of the offense and the defensive coordinator is going to be in charge of the defense, what is your role going to be? The head coach of you know, the what, football what team. What does that entail? How, how does it change? I guess... What you know, it'd be this very similar to what's going on right now. You know, does that mean I'll sit more into defensive meetings at times, maybe, right? Instead of always being in an offensive meeting, maybe I go to a defensive meeting here and there. Um, but my job is to be the head coach of the team, not the head coach of the offense, not the head coach of the defense, not the head coach of the special teams, but be the be the head coach of the football team. I, I think he should have answered that. I'm gonna do what every other. All 31 other head coaches do, and I'm going to be a head coach. It's kind of it was almost like a. It was almost like the question of uh, you know how cold it was going to be in Detroit. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, my God. Anyway, yeah, I think, and then we heard from Fletcher Cox, and I know that um, El Ombre didn't like that because he snapped at uh, at a reporter, but. Um, yeah, I mean, he felt like it was a legit question, I guess. But yeah, well, and it was. If you look in the media, people are talking about it and everything. But for the players, it's just like, yeah, what are you talking about? And you know, and I thought in that one little moment, you you really saw how the players feel about Nick Sirianni. Yeah, yeah. Fletcher Cox was was genuinely like amazed and then irritated. You call him a clown. Yeah, the reporter. He said, "Get out of my face, the clown." <laughs> Jalen Hurts. I didn't know he was going anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they they seem to like him, and and uh, that that seemed more like a Philly reporter there. Like, all right, so what's your job? As Lefko said, it was kind of a "What would you say you do here?" <laughs> the office space. <laughs> yeah, kind of question. Yeah, that's that's more a Philly attitude there. Like, all right, you got this guy running the defense, this guy the offense. What's your job? Tell me about you. <laughs> what if he had responded like the guy in office space? Doesn't he say, like, well, I take the proposal to <laughs> yeah, the I'm a people person. I'm a people person. That's right. <laughs> the, the worst people person on that entire, in that entire group of people at that company. It was hilarious. All right. There you go. Sweeping the dial is powered by Seattle University men's basketball. Coming up, the Seahawks have brought four guys in for second interviews. 
But which one stands out the most right now? We're going to get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.